Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. We welcome you to Faith Community Church. We're glad that you're here this morning, and, and we're going to have church. We're going to enjoy God's presence. I'm so happy that, that, uh, that each of you are here and, and that you've uh, come out. A little winter isn't going to scare anybody off, and, and uh, we're just going to enjoy his presence in a special way. So we're glad that you're in the house of God. We want to welcome our guests that are with us today. And if you are a guest, we invite you to take uh, an opportunity right now to pick up one of those connection cards. It's probably right in front of you. And complete that then right after the church service. Take it uh, right outside the foyer or in the foyer and uh, take it to our information desk. We've got a gift for you. We want to give it to you. and. We'll be writing you a note this week. And so, but thank you so much for being a part of this service today. I want to invite you to stand as we read from God's Word, the Bible. I'm reading from Psalm 95 this morning, a great portion of the Word of God, beginning in verse number one, which simply says, Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And, with sh and let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are also his. The sea is his because he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this day to, uh, to come into the house of the Lord this morning. Father, we just believe that there are some, some incredible things that you're going to be doing in this place today. We thank you for the word of God that's going to be spoken with clarity. And Father, we pray may the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit... Come and move upon that word so it would penetrate every one of our hearts and our minds and it would have that kind of a, a, a powerful effect in our life. So Father, we're thankful today. We're going to sing. We're going to rejoice. And, the, and may the joy of the Lord truly be a strength in our life today. We're thankful for every person that's here. We're thankful for each individual. We pray that you'll touch their lives we pray that you'll lift them up. There will be the encouragement of God that is abundant in this service. And more than anything else, may your presence be incredibly real to every one of us. Today we give you our thanks in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read a portion of scripture here that we know, that we commonly call the uh, prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son is a story of two young men and a father. And uh, it's very easy to read this story which has been considered by some people the finest short story in the world. And I can understand that. But it's very easy to read this parable 
of Jesus about these two young men and their father and sort of concentrate on that young man that, that sort of went spinning off into a bad direction. But I want you to also concentrate on that father. I am very, very convinced that when Jesus spoke this parable, the father in this parable is God the father. And it's God the father that is always at center stage. It's God the father that was always watching for that lost son. He never took his eyes off that son. Even though that son wasn't on the horizon, even though that son was not walking down the road, at any particular time, he was always watching down that road for that lost son. But there's another son, too, that stayed home. We're not going to talk too much about him today, but we're going to talk about the father, we're going to talk about that son. And we're talking about in the context of a, uh, of a, of a prodigal. And that's why I want to read this to you this morning. A certain man, beginning in verse 11, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, he said, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he said, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, I underline that in my Bible, make me like one of your hired servants. Let me pause here for a moment. This prodigal son came to his senses and he realized that his life was wrong his life was in a, going totally in the wrong direction. And he said, I'm going to go to my father. In other words, he rehearsed what he was going to say to his dad. And I think that's a good idea. He rehearsed what he's going to say because he wanted to say it right. And he did. Let me continue on here. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This would be something in that culture that would be very, very strange. A father, a father running to meet his son. This would be just out of the question. This was a cultural taboo, if you will. Fathers, who, <clears throat> fathers like this who especially that had a, had, a, had a sense of dignity and had a sense of position in the community and all these things, they would never run. But keep in mind what I said early. This is not an earthly father here. This is your heavenly father. And what did he do? 
what did he do to you? He ran to meet us. He wanted to meet us. He was looking for us. And when he saw us on that horizon, he ran to meet us. And that's the difference between an earthly father and our heavenly father. Let me finish the story real quickly here. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and we're going to eat and be merry. It's party time, folks. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. The youngest son went to his father and said, I want my inheritance. And I get the, I get the image here by the, by the language in this, in this story. He didn't just go up to say, hey, dad, I'd like to have some, my money and, you know, kind of what's coming. He demanded it. He was rude. He, he was forceful. Yeah, it's, hey, old man, I want my money. And give it to me now. I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to head out. I'm going to do my thing. Don't stand in my way. Blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff. He was very rude, very forceful, very indignant toward his father. He's a young playboy here that ends up in a pig pen. He was deserted by his friends when the money ran out. And, and the Bible tells us about another guy in the Old Testament. His name was Solomon. And Solomon writes... In the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, Vanity of vanities, all is vanities. And what a sorry waste of life. What a waste to be able to take a look at life and say, It's just nothing. It's just hot air. It's just, the, the entirety of life is vacant. And there's nothing here for me. I, I look at life so totally different from that. I honestly, and I think many of you do too, we get up and we say, thank God for another day. A day that which we can serve God. A day that we can do things with our hands, our feet, our mind, and all of these other faculties that God has given us. We can serve God. It's not vanity in my book. We've went beyond that. And God has given us new life and new hope and, and all of these other things. I recall a few years ago, being in a meeting with uh, former United States Attorney General John Ashcroft, who told of a special memory that his father shared with him. Uh, virtually, he said virtually every day. It was a daily reminder from his dad, who said this, and I quote uh, Mr. Ashcroft, do something noble today. What a good thought. What a good idea to, to get up in the morning and to hear those words spoken into your life, virtually every day of your life. Do something noble today. I know I've told you this, but I had a heart procedure a number of years ago, and uh, we were just about ready to get this thing started, and the, the surgeon was uh, sort of standing there, kind of looking at me, and, you know, like, <laughs> you know, what do you do? I mean, they sort of got you. And, uh, and I was nervous about it, and, you know, I, this is kind of a first for me. And he says, I, I, want to, I want to tell you something, Dennis. He said, I grew up in a Christian home in Egypt. He says, in every day of my life, my dad told me of all of the sons 
that God has created, you are by far his best. Wow. That helped me so much. That helped me so much. I wasn't a very good theologian in those days, but that sure helped me a lot. And I just, I just felt, I felt a great confidence that kind of swept over me at that moment before everything got really rolling and everything like that. Of all of the sons that God has created. The guy in my text is a guy that represents a lot of people today. Living for today. Whatever feels good, that's what we're going to do today. Whatever we think is okay, we're going to do today. Even if it's not okay, we're still going to do it. However it feels to me, we, we are people of feelings, aren't we? Not necessarily rational or anything like that. Whatever feels right, this is what we're going to do. And this, uh, this is how God sees us. Luke chapter 15 is a very special chapter. Because it gives us three stories, or in other words, I, I would call them three windows uh, into the things that are lost. The first window is, a, is lost sheep. They were lost because of indifference. And if you've ever been around sheep, they're about as indifferent of an animal as you can find. They will wander, they will do goofy things, all on their own. All on their own. The second one was a lost coin. This was lost because of a force that was greater than the coin. It rolls off the table and rolls into a dark corner of the, of the room. And then the prodigal here in Luke chapter 15 is lost because of his own deliberate decision. He deliberately said, I'm going to do this and you're not going to stop me. And all of these things. Folks, over the years, I've witnessed the heartache of those who long to see their own prodigal Come home. I've witnessed it. I've heard it. All of these things. It's a sad, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching feeling that people express to you of the prodigal and their families that they want to come home. And so this message is here to help focus. I, I, I pray that God will give us hope through this message, and, and I, I, want to, I want you to know there is the power of the Holy Spirit that is far greater than any prodigal's uh, rebellion or imagination or anything that you can, you can come up with. I believe the Holy Spirit is greater in all of these areas and can turn that prodigal around. And we're going to take a look at some of that here in the course of this thing. So there's some things I want to encourage you to do. One of these things, the first thing is, I want you to let go of false guilt. Let go of false guilt. I've observed that parents of prodigal sons or prodigal daughters often live under a very staggering load of guilt. Their story often goes something like this. We try to bring up our children in a Christian home with Christian ways and values. That worked well for two of our children, but for the other child, it didn't. Our son or our daughter simply wanted to rebel, and it breaks our heart as to how they are living today. And they go on and they say, we hear of people in the church 
speak of how their children are walking with the Lord, and we wonder, what did we do wrong? I'm telling you, that's real guilt right there. That's 100 proof guilt. Ooh, I probably should have said that. That's 100% guilt. Not sure where that one came from. Probably not from God. You know, it doesn't matter if our children are young, if they're teenagers, or whether they're 60 years old or however old they are. We still feel responsible for them. We're still responsible. I've got daughters that are adults. They have their own family. Yet we feel a responsibility in our connection to our, to our two daughters. We often carry guilt, but we do so needlessly. And it's very important for us to realize that our children make choices for their lives. <clears throat> you can do everything under the sun, but they're still going to make a choice. They're going to make a decision. And sometimes they make the bad decisions and the wrong, uh, wrong choices. Adam and Eve, for instance, had a perfect father in a perfect environment. And yet they deliberately chose a path that God specifically said, don't do that. And they did it anyway. And that's how it really all started anyway. You check out this Bible, you check it out real carefully, and you'll find there are many cases that reveals God grieving over his children grieving. You'll hear words that are expressed this way. Why have you turned your back on me and on everything I've taught you? That's God speaking. Why did you do that? And it's a plea from the Father's heart. Transpose that into the, into the parable of the prodigal son. I'm not going to stand here and say, I think that prodigal dad there was saying the same thing. Why did you do this? You've gone against everything I ever taught you. And yet, you drifted off deliberately into this other direction. None of us, folks, listen to me, listen to me carefully. None of us can make our kids godly. We'd like to. I know there's not a parent in the room that doesn't want to make their kid godly. And we all do but we can't do that. We can surround them with many things that can help them make right decisions. We can, we can guide them. We can direct them. We can, we can do all kinds of things. But the end result is they make a choice. I know there are parents who seem to have, more, have it more right, if you will, than somebody else, and yet their kid turns their back on God. I also know that Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. I've heard people say, that didn't work in my situation. Hold it just a minute. Let's rightly divide the word of truth. There is not a guarantee with this thing here. This is a principle. This is a principle. This doesn't say, if you do this, 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 and your kid will be right. That's not what it's saying. If you follow it, you'll give your children a wonderful foundation, but they still make their choices. 
I also realize that sometimes we believe our reputation might be on the line and we wonder what other people are going to think. Well, people are going to think what they think. That's all I can about say on that one. The most important thing for you to do is set yourself free from whatever people are thinking and concentrate prayerfully on that son, that daughter, that relative, that parent that's a prodigal. Number two, we need to keep the church doors open. This is for us as a church. I want to see hurting families released from false guilt, but I also want to challenge a church because sometimes it's the church that has created the prodigal. And here's, what I, here's how I'm going to explain that. What I'm now saying is more important, I think, than any, any, any other time than ever before. And I wonder if there aren't young people who have been branded a prodigal because of their hair color. You know, I, I've seen kids walk around, you know, they got a blue stripe here and a green stripe here, and I think, uh, how does that work? And I ask my wife, how do they do that? And, and she tells me, and <laughs> see, I didn't even think she knew. They've got a pack of cigarettes in their pocket, and I don't like that. They have a music style that drives me nuts. Never mind that they might have a sweet nature and a sweet spirit, and they really do love God, and, but they just don't look like the rest of us. They may not talk like the rest of us. They don't act like the rest of us. So what? Several years ago, God gave us a, a real favor with some young people. And there was a crack house about three blocks from the church. And my youth pastor was out walking one day and he said, go in the crack house. He said, I think God wants me to do that. And so he started going in there, and he had two or three little Gideon Bibles in his pocket. He started giving these Bibles out. These crackheads are all zoned out, you know. He starts reading the Bible to them, and they got real interested. And he kept going back to them and everything, and they kind of welcomed him. And he said, well, read the Bible to us. Read the Bible to us. They didn't know what was going on. I don't know whether it's drugs or what. Well, anyway, on a couple Sunday nights later, they started showing up at church. And they didn't sit in the back row, they sat on the front row. And they were sitting with a bunch of our teenagers that were in that church, and that stirred up the deacons. Because <laughs> they said, what, what are we doing with these crackheads and, and our good kids? Our good kids, they're going to, you know, he's, he's, boo. You didn't get it, did you? One kid's got hair clear down to his waist. Scary looking guy. He had one eye that looked at you and one eye that was looking over here. And I, every time I walked in front of it, I thought, maybe I should, wait a minute, no, no. He, I didn't know. He didn't know either, I don't think. And I mean, it was, these guys were frightening. But they come to the altar and they prayed and they wanted Jesus in their lives. And Jesus came into their lives and Jesus changed their lives. They left that crack house. They walked away from it. 
And they were inviting their friends to walk away from it and come to this place on Sunday night. They didn't show up on Sunday morning. I, you know, well, we don't have people showing up on Sunday morning, too. But uh, they came out. Two of them went into the ministry. And I'm so thankful for that. We had to have some serious talk with some church leaders about this. But I'm so thankful for what God was doing. They need acceptance and they need encouragement and they're on a journey with God and, and that journey may be at some place where we've, we've not been for quite a while. But for them it's so very important. And then when our prodigals do come home, <clears throat> we need to pray that they meet the father, the same father that met this prodigal coming down the road, coming back home. He already knew what he was going to say. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. He had it right. He got it right, right there. Nailed it. The older brother was sitting there too. This is the only mention I'm going to say of this older brother right now. He was waiting. The older brother had his set of rules. He'd been keeping score. Now the Bible says this uh, younger, this other guy went to a far country. How did he know what he was doing in the far country? Did this other brother go and kind of check up? I don't know. I've always been curious about that. But he had his rule book with him. He had his ledger with him of all of the things that he did wrong. And he's checked them all off. And he's upset because dad now is acting like this, my long lost son is here. What's the deal here? I've always been with you. How come you're treating him like this? He doesn't tell the servants, notice this, he doesn't tell the servants, he says, go run a bath. Get this kid cleaned up. I mean, let's face it, he's been in the pig pen with the pigs, fighting with the pigs to eat their stuff. The kid comes down the road, he's got, he had stuff on his feet. Pig stuff. He smelled. What did the Bible say? The father ran to him and embraced this stinky kid, this rebellious kid, this kid that ran off with the money. He embraced him. And he said, we're having a party. We're going to get the best robe. We're putting this ring on. We're going to have barbecue tonight and everything like that. This is my lost son. And he came home. I love that portion of the world. Number three. And I gained the message title from this. We'll keep the light on. Motel 6 got it right on that one. They don't get it right on a whole lot of stuff. But they at least got it on this one. We'll leave the light on for you. I believe the best part of this parable is right here when powerful memories hit this young man in the pig pen. Powerful memories. Servants have it better than me. Luke pairs the details when his father saw him coming. I believe this father was watching diligently every day. And despite the angry words of his son, despite the fact his son storms out of the house, despite all of this thing, the lack of respect, the arrogance, and all of these things, 
The father still loved him. The father was still watching every day for this young man to come back home. And one day, he saw a shadow way out there. But he recognized him right now. Father knows. That's my son. And he's coming home. There's a message to prodigals. I think prodigals sometimes come to church. Maybe there's prodigals sitting in the sanctuary today. And I all, all I have for you is how God longs for you to respond to him. God longs for that. He's waiting for you to come, I guess, to your senses. He's hoping you're going to realize the game you're playing with your life is a losing game. There are no winners, only losers. The Holy Spirit works strong. He's a convicting spirit. Please don't just shrug it off as maybe you've done in the past. Don't do that. Listen to God. Let God speak into your life and then respond to him. And I'm telling you, he loves you. He loves you. Forgiveness is real. Come to your senses. Come home. I want to close this service this way. <clears throat> I want to give this message four ideas that maybe can help you. I think they can. Dealing with the return of the prodigal. Number one, I've already touched on this, but let me review it real quick. Avoid blaming yourself. <clears throat> Rejection can bring a lot of pain, especially if you poured your life into a son or a daughter and seen that person <clears throat> just walk into a bad direction. And it's very normal to second-guess yourself. That's very normal. You're normal. But this isn't going to help. Blaming yourself will not help situation. Even if you did everything perfect, your child may still rebel and may walk away. So stop. Avoid blaming yourself. Number two, stay engaged. Stay engaged wherever you possibly can. You might be thinking, well, pastor, they don't listen to me. And it seems like it only makes matters worse. Well, let me give you a hint here. Use words that demonstrate humility and of affirmation rather than judgment and hurt. The last thing that prodigal needs to hear from anybody is, well, listen, when I was your age, I did this and blah, 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 and all that. Save it. Stuff it. You're not helping one bit. Just stop it. Affirm. It's interesting, this week I came across this information which was very timely. There are many studies that have shown that parents, even though there's a season of rebellion, still have long-term influence more than they realize. Trust God for your effort. Trust him. Trust him. Number three, at some point you may have to consider employing Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Let me read that for you. Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place for wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let me, let me, let me just kind of bring that back into, into a different focus. In other words, God is saying right here, he's saying, look, 
there comes a point where you need to get your hands off that kid. You need to let me take over. As long as you're, you got your hand dabbling in that kid's life, I'm not going to do anything. You take your hands off. I'll take it from here. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. That's when you have to step back and say, this is a killer. Because you may see some things that just are shocking. But God is at work. God is doing something in that person's life. And you, you will look up one day and there's that prodigal daughter. There's that prodigal son coming down your lane. They're coming home. Because they found out. They found out the hard way. It wasn't easy. It was painful. But they're coming home. This may come at a time when rebellion is very deep. The prodigal needs to be reminded of your love. You love him. But now God is going to take over. Balance grace with truth. That's my fourth thing. <clears throat> be a reflection of God's grace in, in your life and in theirs and in truth. And this is going to be very difficult also. Be a model of patient love. The Bible is filled with verses that speak of God's patient love for us while we were living in our unforgiven sin. Remember to pray daily. Remember to realize that God will use this season in your life also. He's going to be teaching you some things as the parent. But he's also going to be teaching that prodigal some things too. There's something else that's very important. Do not subsidize your child's poor choices. I read a story, and I don't know whether it's Ann Landers or Ask Abby or one of those things, just this week. And somebody wrote in, it was a parent that wrote in and had a prodigal son, 23 years old, graduate from college, living at home, didn't have a job, wasn't really looking for a job, just kind of lounging around the house, spending money. He didn't have a source of income, so guess who was the source of income? It was mom and dad. And they said, well, what do we do? And I thought the, the advice was brilliant. She said, first, give this kid a very short deadline, he's out of the house. Next, quit paying his bills. He needs to run out of money. And the reason he's not running out of money is because you're subsidizing his lifestyle. That's tough love. Thanks to James Dobson, we know how to work this one. That's tough love, but it's appropriate. There are parents who continue to bail their kids out of trouble instead of letting them face the consequences of their sin. And the prodigal needs to hear needs to live through the natural results of their poor choices. That's a hard thing. That's a difficult thing. Let me close with this. Donnelly, would you come back? A mother relates this story. <clears throat> she writes it this way. With no warning, Carla, our only child, left home on her 18th birthday 
My husband and I brought her up in a caring Christian home, and we did not hear from her for four years. We did not know if she was dead or alive. But before going to bed each night, we would turn the porch light on. We missed our daughter so much. Every Christmas, we put a little tree out in the front yard with lights on it in front of our house. It was just for her. Carla finally returned home and told us of the importance of the porch light. She had driven, we didn't know this, she said we did not know this, but she had driven past our house many times, late at night. All the other houses were dark except ours. The light was on. She said at Christmas I would come late at night and I would park down the street and I'd see that little Christmas tree. It just sat in the darkness. That Christmas tree you put out there was for me. Somehow I knew that. Folks, I believe God stirs our hearts. I want to pray for prodigals this morning. My guess is a lot of us in this room have them in our family. It could be a parent, a son, a daughter, you name it. I know there are people that are praying for prodigals. And it almost seems like every time I pray, their hearts get farther away. Well, that's not probably true. Never give up. Never quit praying. This is how I want us to close our service today. When you came in here, the ushers gave you a little recipe card. And I'd like you to do something right now. You need to do this fairly quick. I want you to put the name of a prodigal that you're praying for. Maybe it's a son, maybe it's a daughter, maybe it's a, I don't know, it could be a parent. I want you to just simply put the name of that person on that little card. Would you do that right now? Just take a moment, just write it on there, just scratch it on there. And this is how we're going to close our service today. When you have that name on that card, put it on that card. This is what I want you to do. I want you to come up here and lay it on this pulpit. Just lay it right here. I want you to walk up here. And then I want you to stay right up here because we're going to pray together for those prodigals. We want them to come home. We want them home. That's it. Would you take the hand of somebody right next to you? Let's just, let's just link our faith up together here today. Heavenly Father, this morning we have talked about the prodigals and by the stack of these cards here, there's a lot of prodigals out there that they're wandering around and honestly, some of them don't even know it and some of them are just plain rebellious. They do know they're rebelling and whatever the reason, Father, we just pray that you'll begin to really penetrate their mind and their heart. Father, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit is truly, truly going to get a hold of their life. And Father, this, whether this is a short time or a long time, Father, we just are believing today because of this simple, simple little act of faith that we've done this morning 
putting a name on a card and putting it on this pulpit. We are believing that you are going to answer this prayer this morning. We have linked our hands together, our faith together, and by faith we believe that prodigals are going to start heading home. They're going to repent of their sin. They're going to repent of the, whatever's been going on in their life. And they're going to re-engage you. And you're going to love them. And we're going to love them too. And so, Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you will give these people, bring them back, break any bondage of the devil. We come against him in the name of Jesus. Whatever deception is going on in their head and their hearts, we ask that this be broken right now in the name of Christ the Lord. And so we thank you today. We pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Lift your hands for the blessing of God. Father, may the Lord bless and keep. May the Lord make his face to shine upon our lives and upon this special moment today in which we honestly, we come before you and we say by faith, that prodigal is coming home. That prodigal is going to be heading back. We're going to leave the porch light on. We'll put that little tree out in the yard, whatever we do. But we're going to show that we love that kid. We love that parent. We love that person that we're praying for today. And so, Father, I pray that we walk out of this building with the confidence that you are going to go to work immediately at the close of the service. Something's going to begin to happen in their lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for praying with us. God bless you.